Welcome to Trekker Talk, everyone, and we have a very special episode for you. Rites of Passage, the latest Trekker book, was just released in February, and joining us to talk about the new book is the creator, writer, and artist of Trekker, Ron Randall. Thank you for joining us, Ron. Thank you. It's, it's great to be talking with both of you again. Well, we are so excited to hear more about what you have to tell us about the Rites of Passage. It's finally in stores and in the hands of Trekker fans. How does that make you feel? <laughs> well, you know, when a, when a book comes out, the, the term we often use for it is it's, it's a release. <laughs> I think that's that's kind of largely what I feel about about Rites of Passage coming out. It's, it's been a story that's sort of been living in my head and in my heart for a long time. And so to have it finally, you know, getting out there in the format that I that I really want it to be in, there's a sense of release. It's something sort of been sort of pent up inside me for a long time. I've been waiting for it for a while, so I'm very very happy and excited that it's finally going to be coming out. Well, that's great to hear. It's interesting to hear you say that because it's been a long time coming, but it's also the longest Trekker story we've had so far, and it's got lots of world building in it. So what was it about this story that made you feel it needed that extra page count to tell the story? Well, a lot of it, a lot of it goes to just from the time I first envisioned the story and what the story requirements were, which is the, the story basically needed to take place in three sections. It starts off with Mercy in the, on the streets of her hometown, Miguela, and she gets caught up in adventure. And so then there's this, this big journey part, a space journey part of the story. And then uh, they arrived on another world. It just sort of broke itself down into those those sort of three acts, as it were, to use sort of theatrical terminology for it. And each of them seems to warrant a certain amount of, of, of space because of the amount of material I wanted to present there, establishing characters and the situation and introducing different elements of, you know, the, the challenges that were encountered along the way. I wanted to feel like an epic journey where we were moving to these different environments and I wanted them to be real and sort of feel lived in so that the reader will experience with the characters going through this journey and I to have telescoped it down would have I think really reduced the overall impact and that sort of sense of well you said world building, that sense of getting lost in in, in the story that has a certain amount of scale and scope to it. So I felt it was warranted for a lot of reasons. Some of the changes that are introduced here that will have major impact on on Mercy's sort of life trajectory from this point on. It just it just felt like it, it needed that space. Yeah, I really like that. And so many of the the new worlds that you introduce and the new characters are so compelling too. So I'm glad that you gave it that extra space. That's super. I like to think that Mercy has gone on a star-spanning journey, and I know that the story itself had quite a journey to publication. Could you tell us what it was like getting the story into print? Um, yeah, it's. It, it indeed has had a long life. Uh, as I said, it's been living in my brain for a long time. In fact, as uh, people that are familiar with, with Trekker's sort of story and sort of the publishing history of it know that I had done a bunch of Trekker stories, then there was a very long hiatus. And then when I returned to pick up the tale again, that's the story of the train panel on Bay, the previous trade paperback. That was the first Trekker story I had been able to tell in, in a number of years. And I was aided in my return to the series by the fact that I had had that story written out the script for it and was done for about a decade before I was able to draw it. <laughs> so, of course, it was great to get back and pick up the story again. And at the same time, this story, Write the Passage, I already had the story outlined for this story. It was written way back then as well. 
so so you can see it's been around a long time. And I'd originally envisioned it as possibly being the three individual comics, you know, 22, 24-page comic books, which, again, it lent itself to that because of that, that's sort of that three-act structure that it just seemed to you sort of uh, very naturally fall into. That was the format was first in, and then when I, when I returned to Trekker by, by making the TrekkerComic.com website, and I knew the story was going to appear that way, I knew I had enough room and space to, with, with the elasticity of that format, it could take whatever length it needed to. So it came up that way, and then when it was time to collect the, the story and put it into print, I realized that even there, there were a couple of scenes that I wanted to expand upon a little bit more than I had done on the website. And knowing that instead of coming out in a series of individual books, it was going to appear as an original trade paperback where you have a, a similar amount of page count elasticity, you know, you're not restricted to all these comics are all 20 pages long or whatever. I was able to expand a couple of scenes that just felt that in the collected volume, you would pace the story out a little bit better that way. So while much of the story has, you know, is posted on the website, there are a few moments that I've expanded more. So there's some, some new material that that's never been seen before that will be coming out in the, in the release of the trade paperback. So, yeah, a long journey <laughs> going through a few different permutations or formats, but it, quite honestly, it's coming out in pretty much the, the best format I can imagine right now. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited about getting that extra bonus material with <laughs> the trade. <laughs> and I should mention, speaking of extra bonus material, I just quickly mentioned, we had enough room for a few pages in the back of this issue, so there is a couple of pages of some of the original design concepts, and I have just a few notes about some of my thinking for doing a little bit of that world building that you were talking about, and, and character costume designs, and trying to reflect some of the art of some of the characters in, in the look of them as the story progresses. And then we also have a few really wonderful bonus pinups by other artists of uh, Mercy, and it's always such a uh, a great pleasure, and it's very flattering to see some of the really terrific artists that are uh, going to contribute a nice piece to just just give a couple of extra little features to the trade paperback. I'm really exciting to, uh, excited to let people get a look at those things as well. That's also sounds all fabulous. <laughs> yeah, no, I love those <laughs> other artists' interpretations too. They're really nice, and I always love seeing your development work. That's one of the nice things I like seeing on your Patreon site, too, sort of how it comes about. I'll be really interested in seeing that material, too. <laughs> so you were mentioning uh, new characters in addition to new worlds, and Jekka is really interesting. I know originally sort of online that was even the title of the story. She's such an interesting character. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess how did you come up with that character, and how do you think her character impacted Mercy? Um, well, how I came up with the character, again, this goes back to the long the long origin of this tale is actually based on a family friend. They had a, a daughter who uh, was a great friend of our family. They babysat my own kids when they were little, her, her first name was Jessica. And at one point, oh, that's right, I drew a picture of her with Mercy just as a gift to her. And stuff was in it too. And it was, it was like a classic sort of adventure drawing. And it appears in, in the extra bonus features in the, in the trade paperback page. Where she's standing there, I think, her rifle is resting over one shoulder. She's like looking off at her life, and then there's her young friend, Jetta, is there with her. And so I just sort of created like a slightly science fiction version of this young woman that we actually knew. She's the most good kid. And then, and from that image, you know, when you're an artist and you're drawing characters, you know, the story starts to suggest themselves in your mind. 
And I thought, what an interesting situation it would be if Mercy in the series actually fell into a situation where she sort of had to take someone under her wing, so to speak. I thought it was a really compelling idea because Mercy's pretty much, she doesn't like to have a whole lot to do with other people. When she's on the job, she's on the job, and she doesn't, she doesn't want to be bothered by anybody else's agendas or, or have anybody else the way she would see it as dragging them around like that way. And this young girl enters the scene, and you should, I don't want to get into too much of the particulars of the story, but it boils down to Mercy has to sort of assume sort of a protective role. And of course, Mercy does it all very, very grudgingly, very reluctantly. <laughs> Uh, at least, mm-hmm. at least that's that's the front she puts up. Which, you know, she's usually better convincing herself of that than anybody else that's seeing what's really going on there. But so I, I just thought it was a great way to try to again sort of keep Mercy out of her comfort zone, keep her a little bit off balance. And over the course of the story, I, I'm, I'm hoping that it, that it does the job of having a slow effect. That I don't really, I, I try very hard not to address it directly within the text of the story, but just have it be revealed in the interaction of the characters and some of the choices that Mercy makes that something is starting to be sparked in Mercy through you know, interaction and exposure to Jekka and some of the other characters in the story as well. I know that, uh, you know, there is Mercy. She's a young woman. She's in her mid-20s. And I think a lot of people in that age, you're not a kid yourself anymore, and you're you're not at the point where there's a whole lot of parental sort of urges kick in. You know, little, younger people just aren't on your radar. You don't even see them or notice them <laughs> for, for, for many people of that age. And Mercy would certainly be like that. Her life isn't about being patient or coddling youngsters. They just would be these annoying things. And yet here she meets somebody who she comes to recognize as, as a human being, you know, as, and as somebody that she is in this protective role of. It's another case, as I try to make that with the character story, that that all of these experiences that Mercy have 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 a cumulative effect on her character, and thus on, as I said before, the Mercy she'll continue to make in the future, and, and it affects the trajectory of her life, as it happens, I think, for all of us. That, that's really interesting, and I I really enjoyed two words that you used that I know really do fit it right: begrudging and off balance. Mm-hmm. I do think of Mercy in both of those <laughs> ways throughout the story, but it makes it very fun. Well, thanks. I know that the times that I usually am having the most fun with the book are the times when Mercy is sort of like, you know, like I say, she's, she's in unknown territory for her. <laughs> I don't know what it is with storytelling, but I like it when the, when the character herself isn't sure about her, her footing. It just, it's, it's right with potential for, for all sorts of emotional subtext and surprising turns of, of the plot. I think that makes it fun for the reader. <laughs> Good. Well, I, I you know from the very beginning of Trek, I've always gone with the assumption that if it's entertaining to me, <laughs> I'm hoping I'm not the only person who <laughs> would also be entertained by it. Nope. <laughs> I think Weezu is interesting, and there are some surprises with him by the end of the story. And I wonder if we'll see either of these characters again in the future. Well, the short answer is yes. I, I, by now, I've had enough time really plot this series out quite a ways into the future. When I first got started with this book many years ago, I was a much younger writer and artist and creator and was just sort of having to scramble to put the pieces together. <laughs> but since I've gotten back to it, I have had the, the opportunity, I guess I'll put it that way, the opportunity to, to give a lot of thought and put some conscious, intentional work into 
the plotting and outlining of the rest of the series. And so a lot of the stuff that has appeared in the past was going to be appearing in stories coming up now will eventually come back into play in the latest stages of the series. It's something that I'm really excited to do, and one of the most engaging parts of the job right now is to introduce and present stuff now, anticipating the, the, the future role that a lot of these elements are going to have in the series, and trying to establish them well enough now that all that stuff will will pay off and make sense without you know without giving too much away at any one point. Hopefully, having a good story now sort of teases or or little hints about things to come. Maybe not even hints. It's like I'm trying to get readers. I'm not trying to play a game with the readers. So I'm trying to get them to guess and then prove them wrong. I'm not trying to be cleverer than them. It's more just wanting to have the characters and and stuff that are that is coming out in the stories now work really well in this contest. And then you see it down the road and say, oh, and now it even makes more sense for that that hadn't been there all along. So it's kind of an ambitious thing, but that's the structure that I'm, that I'm hoping that, you know, obviously I want this whole thing to hold together as one uh, satisfying experience over time. So, yes, these characters are going to come back. Well, that's, uh, yeah, I like the ambitious aspect there that you're pointing out because it doesn't seem at all like you're playing a game. It seems like you know, every story unfolds this world more and more, and it just makes me more and more interested in it. So you're handling it just right. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thank you. That's that's great to hear. I, I feel, and when I first started the series, as I, I don't have to mention this or not, but, but from the very beginning, my intention was to have a series that began with sort of a pretty constricted, I guess, a scale, a very, very tight little story about, Mercy having what uh, an action adventure story that is a self-contained thing, and yet I wanted—I knew ultimately that I wanted it to to be a much bigger story, but I didn't feel, again, as a much younger writer, that I was really equipped at that point to take the tale onto that larger, that larger stage. So I wanted to plant enough sort of seeds there in the early stories that I could develop them later down the road when I was more when I felt I was more equipped to do so. And I think I'm there now. So <laughs> it's, I'm sorry that I was away from the series for as long as I was, on the one hand, because I hated interrupting the tale. But I'm really glad that where I'm at now as a storyteller, I just think I have a lot more to bring to the stories, and I feel that I'll have a lot more command over it all as we move forward. At the same time, sort of like with Mercy, I love it when I'm telling a story, and I'm a little bit, you know, off my balance, just a little bit over my head, too, but it keeps me on my toes as well, and it keeps it fun and interesting for me. Well, that's terrific, and it actually plays right into something else I was thinking, because you've always sprinkled little tidbits in about Mercy's parents here and there throughout the series, and Mm -hmm. in this story, we get a, a big revelation about Mercy's mother, so just based on what you're saying, I bet you have more surprises for us later on related to that as well. I do. I do, absolutely. In, in an earlier story, Sins of the Fathers, you learn a lot about Mercy's dad and how his, his sort of life story, you know, the, the shape and the impact that that had on Mercy. And so it, it's taken quite a while to get around to exploring her other parents <laughs> uh-huh. uh, who died when Mercy was very young for the impact that her mother had on Mercy's life. He wasn't as a parent, but the revelations in Life of Passage and, and what's coming down the road are, are, are very, really big for, again, for the choices that Mercy's going to be confronted with and the choices that she'll make. 
exciting. <laughs> uh, always want to see what happens next. <laughs> uh, that's what the story Hill loves to hear. Uh, <laughs> another thing I'm curious about is we hear lots about the council in the story, and there are suggestions that Mercy has attracted their attention. And I'm wondering if we're going to see more of them in some of the upcoming stories. Um, yes, again, again, that's uh, that's another yes. Uh, another example of how it's, it's something like started to just plant mentions of the council earlier on, and as the stories go on now, the presence will be felt more and more gradually uh, over time as the stories go on, and as Mercy starts to look for some answers to questions, and <laughs> we you know how that can be like turning over a rock, as you say, and sometimes you don't want to see what's underneath it, and and you can wind up stirring up hornets there. So there's a lot to be, a lot to come with that, that's for sure. I can imagine Mercy stirring up a hornet's nest. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like her pretty consistent pattern, I guess, isn't it? <laughs> well, I, I certainly know that you've whetted our appetite for the publication of this book and the stories ahead, so that's all really exciting. For fans like us, other fans as well who are listening, who want to get the word out about the new book, do you have any recommendations for fans on how they can help? offer you support by getting the word out to others about the book? Well, just about anything that they can think of. I, I think the thing that works the most powerfully is, I know what works the best for me is if somebody that I that I respect and I feel like we have a certain amount of taste and interest in common recommends something to me, whether it's a comic book or a movie or TV show, whatever it might be, I'm much more inclined to check it out. So word of mouth is always great. And then the, the digital versions of that that are available are really to get the message out, you know, to more, more people at the same time, more ears at the same time. And I always really appreciate it when people, you know, follow Trekker on the way they actually followed online and then are willing to share and, you know, retweet and that, that sort of stuff. So I have, I have a Twitter account, Ron underscore Randall, and an Instagram account, <laughs> Randall Shop. There's a Trekker website, of course, uh, trekkercomic.com, that has links to the social media stuff that I'm on. And so people can check those things out. And there's a Facebook fan page where I'm posting notifications every time I have a new page out that week. And sometimes I'll post other you know, events that I'm going to be appearing at or pages that I'm working on in process. And so people that see those things and like them and share them, that all just helps to boost the signal, I think. Great. I know convention season is just around the corner, and I'm sure you'll be attending several events to promote this new book. And I wonder, what are some of the conventions that you plan to attend this year? Yeah, I, uh, I love convention season. Uh, I mean, I love staying in my studio and working and crafting stories. That's great. But it's getting out and being able to interact with fans and, and uh, turning your mom to it or having them come up and say they stumbled upon it in the comic shop or found it online. I, I love that. So I really feed off of that. So... Yeah, I, I, I get to do many conventions I can probably come out in my schedule for and make work. Well, first of all, February 11th, coming right up, I'll be up in Vancouver, Vancouver, Washington, for a little release signing party for the new book, Right to Passage. That's at a great comic shop called I Like Comics. And then some actual conventions that I have lined up at the beginning of March, the 1st through the 5th, I'll be at Emerald City Comic Con, great convention. Up in Seattle, it's just gotten to be a very large, one of the biggest in the country now, and it's just a vibrant, very energetic and exciting show. So I look forward to that every year. On April 14th through the 16th, I will be in Indiana at the Indiana Comic Con. 
and that'll be a brand new show for me. Um, I'm looking forward to being in a little area of the country that I haven't been at for a comic convention appearance yet. So that's exciting for me. There's a couple of shows in June that I'm hoping to get to, but I haven't, haven't got those figured out for sure yet. Uh, I'd like to get to Heroes Con, which I've never been to, and then the Denver Comic Con, which I've been to a couple of times, and it's another terrific show, but I don't have those down yet. Then in the end of the summer, in, on July 28th through the 30th, I will be at the Tampa Bay Comic Con, another first for me. And it's going to be July in Florida, so <laughs> I'll be indoors in as much as possible. And then uh, in September 9th and 10th, I'll be at, at Portland's Rose City Comic Con again. A great show that's right here in my hometown. So that's my that's my travel and convention schedule as it is right now. Sounds like a great lineup. Yeah, it really does. And we <laughs> we got to attend Rose City Comic Con this past year, and you're absolutely right. That's a great convention. And I hope Heroes Con works out for you. I'll say that selfishly since that one's near us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard nothing but great things about that show for years now, so... I'm uh, working to get that, you know, confirmed for me and them as well. And as soon as I have these things down, well, not as soon as, but as soon as I can, I will post word about these conventions both on the Facebook page and on the Tucker Comic blog okay. so that people can hopefully, you know, check the schedules and it'd be great to see as many folks as possible at the show. Excellent. Sounds great. I have one more question before we wrap up. In addition to Trekker, you've been working on Future Quest featuring Johnny Quest, which is a favorite of ours, with other Hanna-Barbera characters. And I would like to know, what's it like working on that series? Oh, well, it's, it's really been probably the most fun my guy could have, unless he's drawing Trekker in this business. And if you, you know, if you have the affection for those characters that I certainly have, I mean, I was, I'm old enough that when I was a little kid, Johnny Quest was airing on network TV. As a prime time show, as a cartoon show, the prime time, and all these science fiction and adventure elements to it as little kid, it was an absolute dream come true. I could hardly believe it. So I just adored those shows when I was a kid, and just a great sense of adventure that each episode, you never, each episode had. You never knew where they were going to go from one show to the next. Flying pterodactyls and World War One fighter pilots, giant lizards, and. <laughs> Giant robot spiders. I mean, as a little kid, that was pretty great stuff all the way through. And what's wonderful about the Future Quest book, oh, which is written by Jeff Parker, and he crafted this series that has, you know, the Johnny Quest gang and a bunch of the other Hanna-Barbera characters like, you know, Space Ghost and the Herculoids and so on. And I think he has done just a perfect job of preserving all that sense of, you know, kid-friendly, high-flying adventure and a great sense of wonder and excitement with just enough modern contemporary touches that the stories do not feel like they're just a nostalgia trip. They do feel updated, but without a major retooling or recasting. I don't think I don't think it's lost anything that made the series so charming and sparked my imagination as a young kid. So getting to draw those sort of stories and working off of those amazing designs by two great comic legends, Doug Wildey and, and Alex Post. It's just been a tremendous amount of fun. And I feel really lucky that I that was in the right place at the right time and got invited to help out with those books. Well, I'm really glad you did, too, because we love those books. You're right. Jeff does a fabulous job writing them. He is such a great writer, though, so that's not surprising. Mm-hmm. And But we just love what he's done with that series. It's something we look forward to reading every month. You know, I grew up on Johnny Quest. wasn't there for the primetime run, but I was there for it every Saturday morning throughout the 1970s. 
absolutely loved it. It's one of my favorites. And I remember you telling a story about being able to meet Doug Wildey to talk about Johnny Quest. Yeah, I was many years ago at the San Diego Comic-Con, and uh, it was a much smaller show back then, but it was still like, relatively it was the biggest show around, pretty much. I was just walking down the aisle one time, and I forget how, but I bumped into Doug. I think he probably got introduced by somebody else. But he was doing something else. I think it was when he was doing video, video at Comico, if I remember right. But it's probably foggy, I should say. But yeah, we just you know, exchanged some pleasantries, and I expressed my admiration for him, of course. And I was flattered that he was aware of Trekker. He, <laughs> he knew what I was doing at Dark Horse and said some very kind things about it that I will never forget. It was such an honor. The fact that my book had even crossed his radar, let alone to hear him expressing sort of his, his approval and appreciation for what I was what I was doing with you know, a pretty young artist, especially compared to his, even back then, you know, his decades of experience and just absolute mastery of this whole adventure comic medium. I was, it was, a, it was a real highlight for me, I'll just put it that way. I'm sure I, I can imagine. And I just want to say one more thing before we wrap up, which is it's amazing to me how many projects you're juggling with the new Trekker page every week, uh, working on getting future ones in print, working on future quests, attending conventions. I just wonder if you should maybe start a second career teaching time management skills. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I It seems like no matter how much I do, though, I'm always able to have a long list of things that I haven't done or done as much of or as well as I would like to, particularly things like I wish I was doing more blog posts on the Trekker comic site and that sort of stuff. But I guess the thing is what would it say? You aim for the stars and maybe you'll hit the moon or something. So I, <laughs> uh, I, like I, try, I try to get I try to get a lot done and, and I don't get everything done that I want to, but it certainly keeps, keeps my life full and busy and I've just never been happier in this career than, than I am at the stage that I'm at now where, I, where I'm able to devote as much time as I am to telling the story of the this series. It's lived in my, my head for a long time, and it's just a great feeling to be able to, to get these stories out and share them with people. That's great to hear. Yeah. And in closing, we just want to thank you so very much for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, and to wish you the best of luck with the new book. Thank you, Ron. Well, thank you guys both. Uh, I really appreciate your interest and all the work that you guys do to help help me get the word out and your enthusiasm for it means a great deal. So thank you guys both very much. We want to thank Ron Randall for taking time out of his busy schedule for that interview. That was very generous of him. We know many are excited about the new book, and it was a treat to hear Ron talk about it. I hope everyone has picked up a copy of Rites of Passage, and we'll be covering that book on the podcast in the very near future. Since we recorded this interview, Ron has posted his convention schedule online, and we're happy to see that he has now confirmed HeroesCon, which is a convention we regularly attend. So we're excited to get the opportunity to see him there. Plus, many of our podcasting friends are also planning to attend, so that's going to be a very fun convention this summer. Be sure to visit TrekkerComic.com. That's Ron Randall's official site dedicated to Mercy St. Clair. It features a new page of Trekker material every Monday, and you'll find all of the latest news and information. Feel free to send feedback our way at trekkertalk at gmail.com. You can also find Trekker Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. And you can listen to the show through iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also find the show on YouTube as part of the Rad Adventures Podcast Network. There you'll find the episodes of all of our podcasts, including Trekker Talk, as well as Warlord Worlds about the comic creations of Mike Grell, and Xenozoic Xenophiles about the Cadillacs and Dinosaur series Xenozoic Tales by Mark Schultz. 
On YouTube, you will get the regular audio feed of the podcast along with a picture of the cover to the issue we're discussing in that episode. We hope you'll visit and subscribe to the channel and give us some likes on the videos. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next time for another new episode of Trekker Talk. Trekker Talk is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. For more information, visit comicspodcast.com. We are not affiliated with Dark Horse Comics or Ron Randall. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. Music is taken from the album Royalty Free Music, Movies, and Videos from the Royalty Free Music Club. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. (laughs) 